Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week on Highways Voices, we talk about delivering services for the customer, whether that's the end user or the person buying your particular product. We're not talking about feature parity anymore, but about value parity. How can I provide you at least as much value or more with that solution? A business masterclass on its way from the head of global business development at Swaco. Today, TCC stands for Thoroughly Compelling Conversation on Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. So some excellent chat about business practices to come. And unlike some other podcasts you might hear on different subjects, I can promise this one is real thought leadership and not just one long sales message. Before that, though, Adrian Tatum joins me, the other half of highwaysnews.com, the home of your daily briefing on all things highways and transport technology. Adrian, as always, we start with you asking what's caught your eye this week. Well, there's been a real theme around innovation to start this week. Cumbria announcing that it's going to be the first organisation of any kind in Europe to trial an innovative new plastic road product. So working with its surfacing partner, Hansen, it will begin a project investigating the sustainability and suitability of using additives derived from waste plastics as part of their highway surfacing programme moving forward, which is part of the ADEPT Smart Places Living Lab programme as well. So real innovation showing there. Plastics has been tested before. There's a couple of companies that have done it. There's a couple of organisations, mainly local authorities that have trialled it, but it seems to be moving on now. Alongside that as well, the local government association saying that the fall in road funding this year could have paid for 9.5 million pothole repairs. So it's done done some analysis on the amount of money that local authorities would have lost this year in the shortfall in capital spending and obviously equated that to the amount of repairs that could have been done. So interesting stuff there. And again, the ADEPT Smart Places Living Lab programme comes up again. It's issued its third white paper saying that debate and collaboration are key to its success. And Sheffield Mayor Dan Jarvis, newly re-elected, has called on the government for a sustained support for regional buses and trams alongside rail investment. And Kia has been given an eight-year contract to deliver the Area 3 maintenance and response contract by Highways England. Other things you can read about and indeed watch this week on our website, there's some footage of a lorry driver swerving around on the M40 because he's on his phone. not good news for him was that the footage is being filmed by undercover police officers. A traffic control centre had the best of intentions with a tweet about cycling safety, but a few missing words got people's backs up. So that's a reminder to double check your tweets before sending them. And given we don't have long to get the infrastructure in place for millions of electric vehicles being sold here in the UK by the end of the decade, some news from Offgem about the power network is on our site as well, along with a whole lot more. Check it all out on the website, or better still, make sure you don't miss a thing by signing up to our daily newsletter in your inbox midday every day. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. In the dim and distant past, when I ran a company that 
made its money out of selling radio advertising in return for doing uh, traffic information on radio stations. We used to have to do a lot of advertising sales. And the thing that I always drummed into the team selling was that bad advertising is about you, your products and services, and good advertising is about the customer and how your products and services will make their lives better and happier. And that is actually really, when you think about it, any business that you're doing with anyone, you need to think about the customer. And for a long time, I'm not sure those of us in transport have been particularly good at that. Quite often we do things because they work for the way that the particular department wants it to do or the consultant wants it to do, not necessarily what the motorist or the public transport passenger or the cyclist or the pedestrian wants to do. So how do we change that? Let's uh, try and get some expert opinion on Highways Voices this week. I'm pleased to welcome Global Business Development Manager for Software Platforms at Swaco. That's Nico Steeldorf is our Highways Voice this week because I want to get a real global view of the trends and the way things are changing. So, uh, Nico, thank you for being our Highways Voice this week on uh, the podcast. And so how are you changing from being a kind of product-focused company to a customer focused company well thank you very much for the invitation to to be here so long story short i i think the first step obviously starts with with bringing processes in place where you start everything with the customer so more than anything asking questions and no matter if you say true sales proper product management proper support all of it should start with a consultative approach which, which as the underlying base has to ask questions, to truly understand what is bugging my customer. So that is something where we at Sparko have spent quite some time to move more into this world of, on the one hand, customer-centric thinking and doing and, and asking the questions before talking, asking, and more than anything, also using all this data, centralizing this data and analyzing the data to move into a world of data-driven decision-making so that we can really gather and aggregate all this knowledge our colleagues in the field make that we learn from our customers and then make sure that any steps that we take ultimately are prioritized in a way that we bring the maximum customer value so that we solve the biggest pain points of, of our customers, prioritized based on the knowledge or the data that we receive through asking the right questions. So basically, you are trying to come up with a specific bespoke solution for each of your customers. Now, you've got hundreds upon hundreds around the world. Isn't that a vast amount of work to be done? I, I do believe, or absolutely, and one of the big differentiators for Swarco was always to be the, the bespoke company, to not only have a one-size-fits-all offering in place, and we will certainly continue doing that. Um, I do believe, however, that with a with the bigger trends of digitalization these days, needs are being more and more centralized or being being more and more standardized. So you will have less and less of a a fully coded, for example, or fully and re-engineered uh, system for each customer specifically. But you'll much more move into a world where customization or bespoke systems are built via modular tools. So yes, you have to build a, a toolkit, a big box of Lego blocks, where you can still build a, the specific green castle that your, your customer wants or the, the blue swimming pool. 
But you do that via modules that you have in place. And those modules should be built based on trying to serve multiple needs. So it shouldn't just be hard-coded little kits, but but pretty much boxes that, that become part of your bigger toolbox. In our very first Highways Voices podcast, we spoke to the guy in charge of Swaco in the UK, John Pickworth, and uh, we were talking about how the products from Swaco are different in different countries. For example, here in the UK, very little white lining goes on from Swaco, but an awful mm-hmm. lot on uh, VMS and parking. Other parts of the, the world where you've got very much more software as a service solutions so you talked about you know, having a modular approach and not a cookie cutter mm-hmm. approach um, but surely it would make sense if you did offer the same products all around the world because clearly that would lead to more revenue and bigger profits i do believe more revenue and bigger profits should just be a result and will be a result of again putting the customer center we, we must not take any decisions with the aim of saying How can we milk this cow more? It might be a good short-term answer, but that is definitely not where we are aiming to go at Swarco. We really want to to change the world and support our customers in moving into that world of a digitalized and now maybe also using an overused term into a smart smart environment and connect environment of of mobility and transportation. So I would not remove that or or like like to take away of this conversation the, the whole how can we grow revenue and profit, but much more how can we solve our customers' biggest pain points more if we're successful in that world? Then revenue and profit will follow. That's a given if we do our homework properly in the background. Do I believe that we can now start getting more and more into a world of, of a one-size-fits-all? I, I don't. And we have Swarco don't because our industry, and that's one of the attractive parts of our industry, it is highly regionalized. First of all, the needs in different countries are simply different because cities are built in a different way. People move from A to B in a different manner. So just their, their culture is different. The, the offering is different. So on the other hand, what we offer as, as, their, as solutions to their problems have to differ. But also, as, as you know very well, Simple things like interfaces and, and standards are completely different depending on which part of the, of the world you're looking at. So you will not be able to just have one, two, three, four, five offerings in your portfolio, but they have to be, again, modular in its, in its technology. And maybe then those, those regional interfaces can be adjusted or those regional look and feels can be adjusted on what is needed. But I do believe that in, in a larger scale, it absolutely provides a ton of customer value if we make what we have available in terms of portfolio, if we make it accessible to more customers. So just because so far we strategically haven't pushed for a certain portion of our portfolio in one region versus the other, now that we have with my city a, a powerful central tool where customers can simply upgrade and even trial out another functionality, having all of that into a central platform that alone provides so much value that I, I do think we will come more and more into a world where a larger and larger share of our portfolio can be offered in, in the largest share of, of the regions that we're targeting or that we're, that we're offering our services. But ultimately still don't believe that we will ever come into a world where everything we offer can be sold in every single, to every single customer. And quite frankly, we, again, we don't want that because a lot of times our customers need bespoke solutions. And that has been one of the key differentiators for Swarco 
and we, we certainly want to maintain that. So this is your advice pretty much to any company that is working across different jurisdictions, not only just across borders, but different cities will have different requirements depending on, for example, their size, their infrastructure, that sort of thing. So how would any company approach this in as much as it, it does sound extremely labour intensive? Very good question. I do believe I think the labor intensity shifts in your value chain, meaning it becomes far more labor intensive when it comes to the customer interface. So when it comes to how are my sales doing? So the sales becomes much more of a consultancy than a offering five different cut sheets. So will that become far more labor intensive and require probably more expertise on that? And absolutely. But on the other hand, if I consult my customers properly and understand their needs, then I am ultimately a large share of your customers have the same or very equivalent needs. One might say I have urban air quality issues. The other one might say I have smog in my downtown and one might say it's hard to breathe in my city center. But if you listen, the problem statement ultimately is the same one. Therefore, if you don't address in your portfolio and you don't focus anymore too much on different specification of tenders, but really make sure that your solution becomes an answer to the biggest problem statements of your customers, then ultimately you will reduce the labor intensity on the product development side. You move much more into a build one, sell many approach because you've built it based on a ton of customer data. So I do believe the labor intensity shifts along the value chain towards the customer interface and you become far more scalable on the product development side. You touched on something, though, which I think is really interesting, is this is this is great in theory. This is fantastic in theory. My problem is that in times when I've consulted with companies in the past, you can have these fantastic solutions. Then you get the tender document, and the tender document is so prescriptive that you, you have all these wonderful solutions that you want to show them, but they are demanding that you deliver it exactly the way they've always had it delivered in the past. And that means that these great solutions you have, even if you could sit down and talk to them about, they're not going to be able to buy because they've had a very prescriptive procurement situation put in front of them. How are you getting around that? There's never going to be the world where we can, and, and with every reason, right? Because it's our tax euros being, you know, tax dollars being used here. We, we will certainly always have that, that, that challenge. But I do believe there's two ways to make that process that I described successful. On the one hand is engaging with your customers on an ongoing and an early stage, because then obviously you can also consult them and, and, and if they see the offerings that you have, but the overall approach you have to product development and those tenders, um, will be written in a much more open manner, meaning those tenders will be written much less in a pure technical checkmark type of way, but much more in a, I need an answer for X, Y, and Z. And you also have options to propose different approaches to answer these problem statements because you move away from the technical nitty gritties towards how do we solve the bigger problems. And on the other hand, what more and more tenders are allowing is that you bit towards a very clear and very granular technical specification. And you then also, you estimate what are your gaps towards meeting all these checkboxes and you would add that into your, into your bit. But then more and more of the tenders coming out allow a certain value engineering option. So you can then, first of all, you offer, I don't know, for five pounds or for five euros, I'm able to, to provide exactly what you were asking for. 
But for three euro fifty, you can have actually something much more exciting that answers all of the problems that you have in place that we could offer you right away because it's available off the shelf. Maybe that button is not yellow, pink striped like you prescribed, but it will absolutely allow you to answer your problems. And therefore, you at least propose a value engineering option and still give that city the, the option to, to choose both. And I do believe also that cities are more and more understanding that in a software world, we all, from a, from a private consumer perspective, we're not used to anything bespoke anymore, right? We're, we're used to a modular world. And our customers, meaning cities employees and, and subject matter experts in cities working in, in mobility aspects, no matter if it's parking or traffic or whatever, they're all becoming more and more digital natives themselves. So they also understand the more bespoke my software becomes, the more customized my software becomes, or in a negative way, the more Frankenstein my software becomes, the harder it will become to upgrade it, the harder it will become to maintain it. Because it's not a central system where there's a, dozens of, of developers sitting on it, but they build something bespoke to me, like a suit maybe, but I cannot expect that any update coming out, any new features coming out still fits onto that, that structure that they built solely for me. So how does all this fit in with the design that you've been involved in, both when you were over in San Diego in California and now you're based in Berlin, when it comes to kind of your flagship thing that we've been reporting on on Highways News, which is the urban mobility management platform MyCity? So first of all, we started in San Diego with approaches similar to that when we found a so-called embedded entrepreneurial team. So we really tried to use the, the latest methodologies such as design thinking and service design to figure out what could be our next solution. What could be a solution that truly solves customer problems versus developing a, a engineered product in a dark room and then praying that the market will like it. So we applied that there already. But now with my city, we did that on a much, much, much larger scale. So until today, we have achieved, I think, 458 customer interviews. And customers, I mean mainly either partners or customers in terms of city employees, city subject matter experts. So not the users, not the drivers in the car themselves, but really the ones that we are in direct interaction with, that, that consume directly and use our, our offering. We gathered over 450 customer interviews and, and really centralized all that data. And there was, we, we were all surprised how much skill set you actually need to start analyzing your open text and so on and so forth to really start centralizing this. But long story short, this became the single most important data source for us to make decisions. So when it comes to how should the roadmap look like, and that, that then becomes the beauty of such data-driven decision-making, we decide on our roadmap what should be part of, for example, this first My City 1.0 and also for the next releases based on how do we provide the largest global value possible? We can certainly then rank or weight the different problem statements and needs that our customers have, and therefore make sure that we answer these. And then vice versa, you can map it all the way back to the customers, right? So you can say, I know from these customers, they have these and that challenges. I have now built a solution. So let's go right back to these customers and say, hey, we have listened to you. We have listened to your input. We know you have challenges in that aspect, and we now have something available. And we were still to see, because I mean, my city's out for only a very short time, but so far the response has been, has been truly amazing. I'm convinced also that the complete cycle, so from consultant asking the customer, and that's where it all starts, to then prioritizing building a solution and getting back to the customer will become drastically or dramatically slower to what our industry is used to, because our industry is used to 
one, two, three, four years to, to get products to market from the spark of an idea. And we're completely breaking this, this habit and try to get in front of the customer as much as possible. So we're, we, from the very beginning, the customer gives us the input, which direction to go, we build, and we end up right back with the customer even before it's released. So we have programs like the Lighthouse program, where we even sit in front of some forward-thinking cities and say, would this, if we would actually build this out, solve your needs? Would this actually help you solve the problems that you have? And only if they give us a check, then we start building further. So it's true iterative design thinking together with the customer. I do believe so far that has significantly helped us. There's obviously a lot of room for improvement. It's also for us a DNA shift. It's a, it's a shift in how our processes are structured, how the check gates look like. But it, it's an exciting one because ultimately you completely remove and that, in my opinion, biggest risk in innovation and product development of not having a market fit because the market told you from the beginning on and continuously if you are a fit or not. So you mentioned you've spoken to 458 customers. Well, not you personally, but Swarco yeah. has. So yeah. what, without giving away the, the secret sauce and telling oh. the rest of the industry what you've worked really hard to uh, find out, what? sort of feedback are you getting what are the major challenges facing cities around the world first of all as a general statement i think the biggest learning is if we ask what are the biggest problem statements in very rare occasions do they state let's say those classic problem statements that we have in mobility so then you have to think through if you really want to truly innovate and, and bring something new to market is it worth to now look back and say, let's build everything that all our legacy products had and all our competitors have and then start innovating? Or is it maybe worth it to say, we will not build these five legacy features, but rather build five other features that really answer those new problem statements? I'm fully and we are fully committed to number two, because, for example, you and me, we now have a phone that doesn't have snake number 17, right? Because someone at some point said, it's worth it to not bring these legacy features, but I'll give you something else, a touchscreen that gets you more excited. So we, we're not talking about feature parity anymore, but about value parity. How can I provide you at least as much value or more with that solution? And gathering that data that on, on a general level, but I, I actually can tell you a couple of points. So what obviously is a, a massive one for our customer base is that urban air quality topic. So sustainable transport, sustainable traffic management. So it's, it becomes much less about necessarily travel time for example, but it's, it's much more sustainability, urban sustainability, reducing emissions, obviously changes from region to region, but that has been a big one that was brought up. What was actually quite surprising to us, one of the highest ranked ones was how can we push the local economy further? And that started really going when COVID hit. Agency or, or, or city employees started telling us on every corner, and in City Hall, we're being asked, what can we do to boost our economy again when, when the pandemic ends? What is there that we can bring in place? And on the other hand, all of a sudden, they're, they're becoming far more innovative when it comes to procurement models because they have budget restrictions, right? All of a sudden, they say, hey, we'll most likely next year not have a seven-digit amount available because all our budgets were completely revamped with this pandemic. And we will have to figure out how can we keep innovating with having a completely tweaked budget to what we were expecting to have in place. So that's something where obviously you can then start finding answers. Can you maybe find 
easy access through as a service contracts where you say you don't need to pay it all up front. You can try even try it out. You can get trials of different systems and then see if it's a fit for you. Like we're all used to, again, from a private consumer perspective, you and me are used to cancel anything we don't like in the same month if, if the service is not there anymore or the perceived value is not there anymore. What we also saw a lot was the lack of internal capabilities and availability of resources. So Actually, a, a problem statement that I think we wouldn't have found if we had, would have looked just at studies, how overall mobility is acting. But this is really focusing on, again, our customer, the cities, that then brought up, you would provide to me much more value if you would provide a ton of, of workflow automations, for example. And, and because we don't have enough experts here, we don't have enough resources in a department. So maybe you should focus on that and making sure you have a ton of automations in place, how to, how to handle, how to operate your traffic environment or your overall mobility environment. What really was, was across the, the pond, no matter which customer you were asking, they, they all in some way or another expressed they want to move into, towards the world of a smart city, of a connected city. But so far, it's really a world of silos. So our, no matter how much we talk about open interfaces, our world is still really, in reality, it should still be described via silos. And, and they're all shouting for having s- systems that are not only focusing, for example, on, on a single vendor. They want to get away from the vendor lock-in. They want to move away from having five parallel systems for their parking environment, a separate system, then their traffic, then their public transport, then their sign management, and so on and so forth. If they want to move into a smart and connected city environment, they have to have some platform in place that really starts integrating all these different domains of mobility and starts making sense of all these different data types in a central platform. And and those were things that they were yelling for. And then obviously, those are immediate triggers on our end to say, okay, how can we adjust again? How can we adjust? But on the other hand, also position. How can you take what you have in place and go to those customers and say, "We, we, we believe we have an answer to the problems that you just stated, but please provide feedback. Do you perceive those as an answer? And if not, how can we tweak it to make it an answer to them? Okay, finally, if I were a highways manager or a transport manager in a medium-sized British city, mm-hmm. what would my city do for me and how would I get it and what would, what would happen? Okay, so you can immediately reach out to your local Sparkle contact and you'll get a call. And before anyone pitches anything to you, they will start listening. They will start asking you, what is, what is your challenge? And you will, you will let them know. And you might have challenges with parking, then they will most likely talk about the available parking solutions that we have in place. If you talk about you have issues with, with uh, traffic jams, you have issues with urban air quality, depending on what your problem statements are, they will then start telling you or, or showcasing the solutions that we have in place. And then as the next step, what you can always ask for is, is also trial versions. So on the one hand, we want to consult you, but more than anything, we want our product to speak for itself. You can at any time request a, a trial version and, and test out and see, would this answer the problems that you have? And if yes, then we know this is then a fertile ground for a successful partnership where we can help you be more successful as a city. Nico Steeldorf is Global Business Development Manager for Software Platforms at Swarco. He's based in Berlin, but has a view all around the world. It's been fascinating, Nico, for your thoughts on how the industry should approach delivering for customers, i.e. the cities, and ultimately the traveling public. Will you come on Highways Voices again in the future and talk a bit more with us? I would love to.
Okay, you're a good man. Thank you very much for being our Highways Voice today. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. Fascinating stuff there about how we keep the customer at the centre of everything from Swaco. We'll hear more thought leadership from Nico in the weeks and months to come. Time's almost up for today on Highways Voices, but before we go, we've got to have time for... Adrian's Accolade. And Adrian Tatum joins me again. Adrian... Who's your accolade going to this week? This is an interesting one this week. A couple of weeks ago on one of our Highways Voices podcasts, former Transport Minister Stephen Norris was talking about the fact that transport and highways is very apolitical and that's been the catalyst to get things done over the years. And interestingly, that Nottinghamshire Council has put a motion forward to set up a cross-party highways review panel, which, if carried, will see politicians from all parties in the area working together to examine methods and technologies used to repair and maintain the county's roads and how they can improve that moving forward, given the criticism the county has faced over the last couple of years. So a real effort and a quite a unique effort for all parties to be working together on highways. And interesting that highways should be chosen because despite the many demands on the council for adult social services, children's services, highways tends to get missed out in terms of the budgets there, it tends to have its budgets taken sometimes to, to move to other areas. But this is a real effort by Nottinghamshire to work together to, to really kind of deliver on what the public are telling them. So that's the reason why they're my accolade. And I have a lot of time for Nottinghamshire Council, actually. Um, when I used to run uh, information gathering for a radio traffic news company, Nottinghamshire's TravelWise department was one of the very best in getting out real-time traffic information when it was kind of really embryonic in the industry. And of course, they were the first to have average speed cameras in an urban location of anywhere in the country. Uh, that's another story that was on our website earlier this week. We've now had United Noptic, one of our partners here at Highways News, delivering their 200th permanent average speed installation in Bedford. Uh, the very first one was in Nottinghamshire back, I think, in the early 2000s. So uh, Nottinghamshire always ahead of the game, it seems, and uh, clearly ahead of the game here as well, which is why they win Adrian's accolade this week. Adrian, thank you very much for joining me. We'll talk again next week. And next week, we're talking all about 5G, all that entails, and its impact on the highways and transport sector in the future so that's our chat next week on highways voices join us on wednesday highways voices join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry 